God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And that is so important for us to know. I was talking to a guy at work the other day who was having a hard time because he's younger than the people he supervises, and he was having a hard time with that, and I was trying to relate to him. Sometimes when we're younger, we have to fight through those things. Well, Timothy was younger than a lot of the people in the church, but he had to take this authority that Paul was giving him and do those things that he needed to do. The Greek here has the idea of a calm, self-controlled mind. In contrast to the panic and confusion that rushes in when we're in fearful situations. When change comes our way, a lot of times it's a fearful thing, and we want to go and we, we kind of lose our composure. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times firemen aren't running to the, thing, the situation, but they're walking fast and they're walking with a purpose because they're not losing control of the situation? I'm sure police officers do the same thing. You've probably been coached on that. Now, there's a time to chase them and run them, and I don't know how you guys, Frank, jump over those fences like that in the movies, but, man, there must be special training for that. Radio. Radio. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it works. But this, but this, uh, the spirit that's given to us of power and love and sound mind is, is that of a confidence of who we are and what we've got going. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you know, even though I'm um, back in prison and facing death, and Timothy, even though um, change is happening all around you, Timothy, even though false teachers have entered into many of the churches. And Timothy, even though you're young, don't be given to fear. Don't be given to fear. Don't be ashamed, he says in verse 8, of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of me, a prisoner of Christ, join me, Paul. He never saw himself as a prisoner of Rome. He always saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus. Don't be ashamed, It's by the power of God that we were saved and that we have been called in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own pressing again. It's the gospel according to grace. It's not by works. Work of Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought eternal life. Again, Paul in prison facing death is speaking about life. But verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to the, to the light through the gospel. And so Paul emphasizes the importance of the gospel. He lays out God's plan of salvation, bringing us into eternal life. He continues to appeal to the importance of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He came to save us. He came, he called us. He continues as we live our holy life and will one day bring us into immortality, what some of us would call eternal life. When we consider the greatness of this message of the gospel, no wonder Paul there at the end of verse 10 calls it the gospel, the good news. Paul's in prison facing death and he's talking about good news. In verse 11, again, he talks about his status, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. A preacher is pretty much for the unregenerate. Talks about grace, talks about repentance, talks about believing. But the teacher is more for the church, for strengthening 
and for equipping. And then Paul boldly reaffirms, because he knows who he has believed, these wonderful words. And I think the key is knowing him, Jesus Christ, not knowing what, not knowing the church, not having a a pride. I know that there were times, times in my life, I confess to this, um, back in the assembly days, that we were pretty proud of who we were. We had a great missions program. Calvary Chapel wasn't around yet. Uh, we had dynamic youth ministries going on around the world, and we were kind of proud of that. And um, then this Calvary Chapel started, and these hippies came, and pretty soon they they weren't educated like us. They didn't have big Bibles like us. They didn't, you know, we were we were all studying Charles Finney and things like that. They didn't have systematic theology down pat. And... Um, But they just love Jesus, and a whole new revival came. And you know, there's times in our history, times in my history, where I've been proud of being part of Calvary Chapel. And uh, you know, there's times when it's a good proud, you know, where where it's an okay proud. But there's a time when it's not such a good proud, and that we have to be careful of. It's not the thing. It's not our church. It's not Calvary Chapel, Twin Peaks, or Sunday night Bible study, or Calvary Chapel that's important. It's knowing Him that's important. And that's what Paul says here in this great verse. I am not ashamed. He told Timothy just a few verses before, don't be ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Did we get the video ready to go? Okay, I got a little video to kind of give you an idea of not being ashamed about Jesus. He is more than you could ever need. He's more than the eye could see. I don't deserve his love, but he's always been there for me. You see, Jesus met me when I was at my lowest. And if you don't know Jesus, know this. He is the greatest example of generosity this world of greed has ever seen. And when Jesus hit the scene, he changed the scenery and met diversity with serenity. If you're looking for peace, he offers plenty. Jesus was and Jesus will forever be king. And when the angels sing, they sing of the grace that was displayed for sinners like me. I can't explain him and I can't describe him. And if I could, he wouldn't be Jesus because you can't explain eternity and you can't comprehend the galaxies. But it was the loving hands of Jesus who spun them into existence and created man knowing he would go to the cross to pay our sentence. There was a certificate of judgment with a period after the sentence and we were sentenced to death long before he said it is finished. He is a father to the orphan, a shelter for the homeless, a hiding place for the abused and an anchor for our storms. He stormed the gates of hell and came out on top and the power of his gospel cannot be stopped. Even when the world tries, they try a lot. He traded places with Barabbas and became the catalyst of missions across the world covering every portion of the atlas. If you're in need of rest, I know of a mattress. If you don't know Jesus, your future is tragic. But he gladly embraced tragedy so we could live in his presence of majesty. His presence is presence. And it's his presence that presents preciousness to a world of peasants. He is far from pretentious but still loves those who are. He is the light of the world and hung the stars. He brings the dead to life and delivers life to the dead. He took a crown of thorns on his head so we could put crowns at his feet. And I 
I can't wait until I get to kiss his feet that were nailed to a cross for me and for you and for every person around the world. He loves the world and I love his word because the word became flesh and in his flesh he demonstrated the word to the world. He is an example to every boy and every girl. He is a lover of black people. He is a lover of white people. He is a lover of the unchurched and the assembly under the steeple. He doesn't see the believer's failures but still takes time to celebrate their faithfulness. It's the power of the spirit that enables us and gives us boldness when the world labels us. And if you want to label me, please call me a Jesus freak. If that freaks you out, good. Because it's better to be good with God than to fight being misunderstood by a world that could never understand. So let it be understood that I don't worship man. We worship Jesus. And although he doesn't need us, he still sees us and pleads with us to run to the cross where he bled for us. His heart bleeds for us. His heart grieves for us. But still graciously grants us a pardon for our treason in a season where the world tries to explain away the work of the Spirit with human reasoning. There's a reason they can't. Because the Spirit is like the wind and the wind cannot be seen. But loved is the one who believes without seeing the unseen. I'm telling you today that Jesus is something. He's something more. He's something great. And if you want to know him, you don't have to wait. He stands at the narrow path with a key to the gate, and you only have to reach out and embrace his grace. I don't care who's president. I have a king who is always present. I don't care who holds musical celebrity. The voice of the Lord will always be the sweetest melody. I don't care who owns the riches of the globe. My Jesus holds more wealth than one ruby on his robe. I don't care who is the strongest or the fastest. Nothing matches the creator of the universe and his immortal, infinite status. I don't care about religious leaders who died and stayed dead. I'll only worship the one who conquered death and wears a crown on his head. His name is Jesus, and I'm telling you, he's something. He was faithful yesterday, and he is faithful today. I can feel his presence whenever I pray. And when the time comes for me to fade away, I'll remember the day I heard him say, My name is Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation. That guy said it pretty well, didn't he? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he did. The key is knowing him and not being ashamed. And I think Paul had done this. Earlier, Paul had written to the Romans, and I think he has done what he asked the Romans to do. He said in uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God in that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul has come to that place. Now in verse 13, Paul continues with an exhortation to Timothy. He says, Timothy, hold fast. Hold fast the pattern of sound word which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Holding fast suggests someone will try to take the truth away. And that's what was happening in the church of Paul's day. But even today, we have to be careful to hold fast to the truth. New pastors coming up need to make sure that they hold true to the, they hold fast to the truth. Others were coming into the church. False doctrine was being proclaimed, in particular legalism. Uh, Paul even hints to it there in verse 9 uh, at the uh, next to the last phrase. He says, according, he calling not according to our works. In other words, he's saying 
Though some people may be saying that salvation comes by works, we're not saying that. We're saying that our purpose is by his purpose and his grace. Don't be changing the good doctrine that you've learned from me. One pastor said it this way, it isn't, isn't this an important measure for any pastor? Does he hold fast the pattern of sound words? The primary measure shouldn't be he's really funny or he's really exciting or he's never boring. The true mark is to ask, does he hold fast the pattern of sound words? And that's why we teach through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, to get you through it and give you the whole counsel of God. In verse 14, he talks about that good thing, and that's the gospel. And then verse 15, some of the believers had turned away, which we already read. And then 16, through the end of the chapter, he reminds Timothy of those who have helped. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onipophorus, for often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you uh, know very well how many uh, ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. And that's the second time that Paul has mentioned that day. And that day is the day when we are 100% sanctified, when we're brought up to be with the Lord or when we meet him and we are complete in him. Chapter 2 what a faithful minister is to look like. What is his characteristics? One commentator said he suggested every pastor read chapter 2 of Second Timothy every day because it had that much in it for what pastors should be. So, verse 1, be strong in the grace, not in legalism. Don't allow legalism to penetrate your church. That is in Christ. Over 20 times in these epistles, uh, Paul has said things like, be strong or um, endure. So he's telling him, this is going to be a tough fight and you need to do that. So let's look at the first a couple verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure. Paul is saying, Timothy, you're going to need help in this mission that you have. So find some faithful men. Find people who can help. You know, with this little transition over this week, we found some people who were very faithful to do things that they ordinarily wouldn't have to do. Mike uh, Kohler was standing in the parking lot at the church sending people over this way. Pastor Brandon was getting the stuff that he needed to bring here for communion and for uh, that type of stuff, the, the Church, the light church, what church of the, you, you had a name for it, church, church on the fly? Huh? Simple. simple church, simple church. So everybody was doing something. <laughs> and and um, he, he brought it all in one box. I thought that was cool. And the, the guys in the sound room were figuring out how our microphones were going inter, to interplay. So a lot of things had to happen, but, you know, that's what it's all about. Heidi was out uh, greeting people and giving out bulletins. And uh, I don't think anybody asked her to. I think she just picked that up and did it. And so faithful people, and that's what, what Paul is telling Timothy here. Be strong in the grace and then commit these things to faithful people. Jesus told Paul back in Second Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Paul has been going over and over this thing about Timothy, be strong. A few sentences after that, Paul followed up with, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, have told us, don't be weak, be strong. And it seems like God tends to tell us that um, there's going to be times when we are weak, times when we're doubting, times when we're not as confident as we should be. In Isaiah chapter 40, he said this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So Timothy, be strong, but realize where your strength comes from. That comes from the Lord. In Ephesians 6, where he's talking about the uh, whole armor of God, he says, be strong and put on the whole armor of God. And then verse 2 talks about discipline and these things you have heard from me among many witnesses to commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others the discipling of others god-given talents don't keep them pass them on early in calvary chapel's history i I found this I, i really didn't know this story pastor chuck was talking and he said that he spent two years with a small group of men in the early years and he poured into that group every, uh, every week for one night he spent with these guys reading, by, reading different books, studying the Bible, and going through um, kind of like a home fellowship Bible study with about 20 guys. And today they're called Harvest, Chino Valley, Chino Hills, Golden Springs, and Horizon for a few. But that was his pouring into that special thing. So now Paul's going to give us some examples of what this is like. Timothy, I want you to be like a soldier. I want you to be like an athlete. I want you to be like a farmer. Verses 3 to 6. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider that I say, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Soldiers must endure hardship, and we cannot be entangled with the things of the world. You remember the parable of the sower. It was the ones that were caught up in the weeds where the cares of the world choked them out, took away their efficiency. Jesus also said that if you were caught up with the cares of the world, you wouldn't be ready for the day of the Lord. The purpose is to please him who called you or who enlisted you. He saw how they acted. You need to be focused and able to obey your commander Remember that Paul is in prison. He's probably chained before some guards. He's probably seen a very um, 
rigorous uh, military um, way around him. The athlete trains and competes, and that must be done fairly. The Olympic Games were being done, mostly wrestling at that time, and it was called striving to master. So when you were in the athletics or you were in the Olympics of those days, the purpose was to strive for mastery. And then the farmer, he works hard, and when he feeds his flock spiritually, he should partake first. So it was something kind of interesting because, you know, you say, well, no, the pastor shouldn't be the first one in line at the food line. He shouldn't be. And the Lord, and the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. He says, you're right. You shouldn't be the first. I said, yeah, but this says I should be the first. And he said, spiritually. It's spiritually. If you're going to feed the flock, then you need to sit with me and let me feed you first. Because doesn't the farmer reap the harvest? During, I mean, get his food at the harvest? So this isn't done. And I think that's one of the most important things. What great times it is when you're preparing to study. I know Pastor Brandon has shared with me, those are some of the greatest times. One of my greatest faults in studying is getting off track and having the Lord take me down a path where he's dealing with me and I'm not getting anything done on the study. But those are great times. You guys who are teaching in men's, and I know the ladies' teachers feel the same thing, there are just some, there's just something special about that commitment to study before you teach. So he says, consider this in verse 7. Paul has just explained these three illustrations of the Christian life, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Each of these three um, occupations need great perseverance to be, to be successful. The soldier who stops fighting before the battle is finished will never win the war. The athlete who stops running before the race is over will never finish or win the race. And the farmer who stops working before the harvest is complete will never see the fruit of his crop. Endurance is so important, and that's what Timothy is being told. In verse 8, Paul talks of the importance of the resurrection. Not that Timothy doesn't know the importance, but Timothy, keep the resurrection as an important part of the message that you're giving. So verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer, which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. The importance of the resurrection, keep it central. Others have been brought back to physical life, Lazarus, for example. But no one had ever been resurrected to a new order of life, that life that has no end. Jesus' death functioned for us like a check written by his life and written by his death on the cross. But the resurrection is like that stamp the bank puts on that says canceled or paid. It makes that check. It went through and everything happened. We need to keep the resurrection important in our preaching. Timothy, I am doing what I'm asking you to do. He says there in verse uh, 10, I'm enduring with the purpose 
of bringing things to order, salvation and eternal glory, the word of God is not chained. The word of God is going out. In Romans 8, we read, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And in 2 Corinthians, he wrote, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Wow, Paul, you know, how can we live up to that? How can Timothy live up to Paul, who's again in prison, about to die, and he's saying such encouraging words for him? And this verses 11 to 13 is probably an early hymn for the church, and that's why it's probably indented in your Bible or uh, set, it, set in a little different type. It's very much like in 1 Timothy um, 3.16, there was also another one that was like that where it says, God was mag- uh, manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So this is a faithful saying, and it's probably a hymn. The faithful saying is, seems to be one of the things Paul continues to say to Timothy and to Titus, supports the early premises of the resurrection. So he's saying over and over, this is a faithful saying. In verse 12, it says, endure, and we will reign, we will reign with him. The reward is greater than the present evils. The warning, though, that's in there is whoever denies me before him, Jesus said the same thing, I will deny him before my father. In verse 13, we cannot deny Jesus. He doesn't change. But even if we do, even if there's a period in our life where we have fallen away and our life doesn't uh, reflect our relationship with Jesus Christ in the right way, Jesus remains faithful. God remains faithful, and he will bring you back. Remember in the second, in the second chapter, Paul is talking to the characteristics of a faithful minister. We've seen the importance of discipling, being a discipling teacher, being a single-minded soldier, being a disciplined athlete, and being an enduring or hard-working farmer. And now in verses 14 and 15, he's going to be talking about being a diligent worker. Remind them on these things. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. First, remind of these things. What things? The resurrection in verse 8 and the things in that song, verses 11 to 13, about enduring, about not denying, about if we die for Christ, we will live with Christ. And then second, don't strive over words of no profit would be the, the, the literal translation. And then in verse 15, be diligent. 
when coming to God. Timothy was to present himself approved to God. You know what? Pastors who stand before you don't need to present themselves to you, but we need to present ourselves to God. And that's an important thing. We're not here to, to get your approval. We're here to get God's approval in what we do. And so it's important when we read that phrase, present yourself to God. And that helps us do a good job of presenting ourselves to you. Not that we're not to, but there's a priority there, and the priority is very real. We are not to regard a job of being a pastor as a popularity contest, but instead being faithful to God. We are to be diligent workers, not ashamed of our work, in particular when it comes to dealing with God's word. So important for us to take that seriously and to make it important. And we're to rightly divide the word. The Greek there, or the Greek idea behind that is to cut it in a very straight line and then to give it out um, fairly to the people. He had to know what it said and it didn't say. And our responsibility is to tell you what it says and it doesn't say and how it was to be understood and not to be understood. And yes, there's lots of opportunities for difference of opinions and, and conversations about you know, different uh, theological issues. And, and I love those conversations, but we shouldn't have it here. This is what Bill's is for. We go to Bill's, we get a cup of coffee, and we talk about those things that are fun to talk about. Uh, I had, we had a home fellowship in our house, and I've told this story before. But we had a gentleman there that was the epitome of an eternal securitist. Anytime we came to a verse that, that supported his cause, he went off, and I couldn't shut him up for at least a half an hour. So one, one night after the study, I said, you know what? We can't do that to the people. It's not right, and, 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 and I know your position, but you just can't hammer it that hard. So we were having pie and coffee. I said, why don't we do this? When we come to those verses, you tell me ahead of time, and we'll go to Coco's, and we'll have lunch, and we'll just have a ball discussing it. And so if you have theories and if you have things and you want to pick one word out and you want to go on about it, great. Find somebody that you respect and somebody that has Bible knowledge and go for it. But just don't do it to where it's a confusing thing at the church. We're to rightly divide the Word of God and we're to give it out in a way that makes it clear. And that's why expositional teaching is so important that somewhere in our fellowship of fellowships we have expositional teaching as a part of it. I think there's a place for... um, messages and, and, um, and series that teaches things where we look at all of the Scripture and we pull out the pieces that make uh, that message strong. I, I think that's a great thing to do. We were talking a little bit earlier about the reading through the Bible and the living New Testament, and I was able to share that I think there's a time for Bible study, and I think there's a time for Bible reading. I think there's a time just to read the Bible, don't figure out the Greek and the Hebrew and the commas and why this is here and how it relates to the Scripture way back in Leviticus and all that stuff. Don't Just read it. Just read it and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Then there's other times where you dig into it. You take a book of the Bible and you spend a year going through it verse by verse. I think those things are important. Cutting it straight, dividing it fairly. Verses 16 to 18 And by not staying focused on this, the faith of some have been overthrown. Verse 16. Shun profane or idle babbling, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their uh, message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philippius are the sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Shun profane babblings. 
focus, taking the focus off of the gospel and God's word. And the important thing for, for us is to keep it there. Unholy, because they took the focus off of God. Vain, because they don't have lasting value. And some of those things we can get caught up in just don't seem to pe- cause people to grow. But it's interesting how things like that can spread like cancer. Churches have been divided. Denominations have been started. And denominations have been split over such things. Verse 19, the solid foundation will stand. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Do you know that you all have that seal on you? The Lord knows those who are his. And I believe, you know, just looking at us, I know most of you, I see a few new faces, but I believe that the Lord knows that you are his and you belong to him. But there's a second part of, this, of that uh, seal. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's pretty clear. So if you name the name of Christ, depart from sinning. Stop sinning. If you, if, uh, you know that you're doing something wrong and you need help, ask for help. Depart from iniquity. Verses 20 to 23 talks about a great house, and I believe we're in that great house. We, we create it when we come together. It's called a church. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Vessels of honor and dishonor, both in the same house. We all have different places and different jobs. And when we find our place in the body of Christ, what a wonderful feeling it is, because you can be doing a very simple task, but you know that that's where God has called you, and that is a great thing. Cleanse yourself is purge yourself from false doctrine, and then you will be set apart for the master's use. Our conduct, whether clean or unclean, will set us apart or not set us apart for God's work. Useful to Jesus or not useful to Jesus depends on our conduct, clean or not clean. It greatly affects how God can use you. If you don't think you're being used, check your life out and see if there's something in there that you need to deal with. And we'll use you to touch the lives of others when you do what this second chapter of Timothy is telling us to do. So how do you cleanse yourself? I think he gives us some keys here in verse 22 and 23. Flee useful love, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are good things to pursue. Pursue a righteous life. Pursue loving others. Pursue peace. Have faith. Verse 23, avoid foolish and unlearned questions would be a literal translation. They create strife. A person has a position on a minor issue and wants to make it the major issue of conversation or of the theology of the church. And then here are some other things that that young pastor is being told to do. Verses 24 to 26. And a servant of the Lord must... Not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. 
if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Must not quarrel, must be gentle, able to teach, and be patient. Wow, there's some characteristics that we have to have as pastors. Humbly correct those in opposition to you, trusting that they will repent under that correction and their divisiveness from their divisiveness and return to the truth. Much of this comes from the snare of the enemy who desires to rob and to steal and to destroy, to take some captives and to cause division within the church. So the basic premise of what Paul has told Timothy here is a lot of characteristics, but I think one of the key things is to really know and to understand the gospel and to keep the gospel to be the centermost. Remember back when we looked at chapter 1, verse 10, I said that there was a progression starting. So let's look at that one again. Chapter 1, verse 10. But now there has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the first thing is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He abolished death. Chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. So we see the progression. There's the resurrection. In verse 10, Therefore I endure all these things to the state of elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So the eternal life. Verse 11, we can see life with him. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. Verse 12, if we reign with him, we shall also reign with him. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we as pastors cannot let the gospel ever slip from what we do when we bring you the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions, Lord. Thank you how you speak to our hearts. And Lord, for those of us as pastors that are here, I pray that we would diligently apply the things that you have uh, taught us. And so, Lord, I pray for guidance and direction for uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Brandon, for myself, for those who are teaching uh, in the various studies. I pray that you would uh, help us to have these characteristics and to live by them and to keep the gospel the center part of what we talk about.